we'll meet, replace the Gremlins with the Easter Bunny. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Saturdays in the Gong this Easter long weekend. Be it listening on 1575 in the Illawarra or in Sydney on 1170 for the first hour. Great to have you with us. Uh, best bet. Download the SEN app. Tap the program you want. Listen anywhere, anytime. It's crystal clear. I'm Matt Russell, joined by two of the Illawarra Mercury's finest. And I'm going back to the first issue, 1855. Two of the finest in more than 140 years of the Illawarra Mercury. Sports editor Tim Barrow will be with us shortly. But Mitch Jennings, welcome to another episode of Saturdays in the Gong. Yeah, from the jump. It actually makes sense that it's a very good reflection of our working relationship. I come in, I do all the heavy lifting, all the work, and then Baz breezes in late, takes all the credit. We're going to give him a few happen. minutes That's off. That's how he goes. He's got, a, for you. he's got to regroup after his Bulldogs <laughs> were beaten and beaten oh, significantly yeah. on was Good hard. Friday. We're here thanks to Wollongong City Motors. Visit them for a test drive today. The Haval, a great car. Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for 20 years. Impactgaragedoors.com.au. And, of course, the Illawarra Mercury. We're broadcasting from... The Wollongong Golf Club at the 19th, right beside the tap-in terrace. I declare this the Augusta of the South Coast. It is a picture at the moment. A bit breezy, but apart from that, absolutely perfect. The Wollongong Golf Club, and it allows us to set the mood for our first guest. Here's a listen. Unmistakable chance. You wouldn't want to be anywhere else oh, than exactly. Augusta National. It sounds like a funeral. It is the worst music ever, but it for some reason, way. it's the best music ever when you put those shots behind it. You know exactly where you are, you know exactly what time of year it is, and it's great to have the Masters nearing, that's right, listeners, nearing the halfway mark because, like Sydney and the Illawarra overnight, thunderstorms have rolled through and put a halt to the second round. Let's bring in the Wollongong Golf Club manager, Aaron Kievers. Aaron, you can control lots of things in life, but you can't control the weather. So we're, what, midway through the second round? Yeah, midway through. There's a lot happening. There's, you know, Rory McIlroy, one of the best players in the world, about to, well, I think he's already out of Augusta. He's probably on the on the plane. <laughs> he's gone. And, um... Lots of stuff happening. You got golf balls moving yesterday. We've got trees falling. We've got weather delays. It's um, it's all happening. It's the best week of the year. The organisers won't like that. Maybe they won't like the fact that Brooks Kwepka, the LIV golfer, is leader 12 under through the tournament. Now, he did finish his second round. So he's gone minus seven first round, minus five second round. That's some golf oh, around been 12 Augusta. under through two rounds, and he's still got... Most of the field's still out there. He's in a great position, and he's going to be really hard to chase over the next two rounds. Let's go through the leaderboard, Mitch. I know you've been studying it carefully, and you've likened some of the golf you've seen at Augusta to some of the boys' weekends you've had away. Yeah, no, that was oh, Minwoo Lee, four putting. <laughs> Jesus. That's, uh, I'll tell you what, he'd have to go and punish a few. That's four skulls he's going to have to do back in the clubhouse. I don't know how they do it at Augusta, but Mitch Jennings on the boys' weekend, uh, four putting. Wow. just It can just crumble, can't it, in one in one, one, one We go. saw that. We've seen that this morning with Jason Day. Obviously, it all just crumbled. <laughs> we'll get to Jason on the Day. One hole. I want to go through the top five. Brooks Kepka, Johnny Rahm, Sam Bennett, Victor Hovland, and Colin Morikawa are the top five. So a couple of uh, visitors. Espana, Norway, three US players there in that top five. Jason Day, five under for the tournament. He was even in the second round. He has also finished his round, but boy, it could have been a whole lot better for Jason Day, right? Oh, big time. He had he had opportunities and he, he, he made some and he lost some and um, 
hopefully he's in a good spot coming into the next two rounds, and I think he's going to be definitely our, our best placed Aussie, and he's going to have a real good good chance, I think. It's golf, isn't it? I think that'll be the battle. It seems like it was a mental one. I think he even sort of said afterwards that you know, I've, I've got the quote in front of me. I've just got off the golf course. I'm thoroughly annoyed with myself. I'm sitting here answering questions. And that can be difficult because it's in the heat of the moment and I'm trying to get a hold of myself, yeah. <laughs> which is probably golf in a nutshell. That sounds like me going into the club as well on the boys' weekend. But boy, oh boy. And I thought, I honestly thought he was a smoky coming into it. He probably sh- sh- shrugged off regardless some of those uh, those back issues he's had and was probably playing as consistent as he played in a long time yep. going in. Well, he's definitely um, he's made some, some changes to his golf swing over the last kind of 12 months and he's he seems to be on the right track now and I think he just needs a bit more some match fitness to, to pop up because he honestly hasn't played much in the last two years. He's, so, in, a, um, he's in a tie for sixth, so yeah, he's right there. He's what there. is he? Seven shots off the pace. Which around there, that could be done in nine holes Yeah, around Augusta. Okay, so Adam Scott, another of the Aussies, he's one shot behind Day at four under for the tournament through ten holes of his second round. Adam Scott, the former winner. Cam Smith, two under for the tournament. Again, he's through only eight, so less than halfway through his second round. Plenty of time for him to make up ground as well. So Day, Scott and Smith are the three leading Aussies. Just repeating, Brooks Kepka finished his second round, leads the tournament at 12 under. Tiger Woods, you've always got to mention Tiger at Augusta. Plus two, he was even through the second round. How's he playing? Well, he looks like he's um, he's on the cut line. They've projected cut line around two, two to three over. So he's still got um, obviously plenty of golf when he gets back out there. But I think he's... He's struggling to get around the course, and he, he believes in his press conference that he, he doesn't know how many more times he can actually get around Augusta. Yeah, he said this week this could well be his last time could be. around Augusta. So through 11 holes of his second round, uh, plus two for the tournament. i tell you what, the organisers and the broadcasters and plenty of fans would love Tiger to make the cut. Oh, they would. You know, most you know half of them there would be there just to watch Tiger. So you know, we've we've seen him battle along over the last few years, and we've seen him win well, win a couple of years ago. So you can't count him out until he's actually out. Scotty Scheffler, the defending champ, he's uh, one under, uh, but plus three for the second round. So he's not going so well. He's finished his second round, the defending champ, and eleven shots to make up. How's how's he going? Look, he's the best player in the world. So if there's anyone that's going to do it, it's going to be Scotty Scheffler, and. Um, you know, he's going to make the cut. He's going to get into the next two rounds. And, you know, you can't put it past him to, to put through, you know, a couple of 65s and be, be up there on Sunday. I looked at Scotty Scheffler's defending champs dinner menu as his tradition. And I was thinking of you, Jeno, because totally. he started with the cheeseburger, cheeseburger sliders. Sliders, <laughs> steak. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. It's fantastic. We sell cod in the cafe and, and he had some sort of black cod. I reckon that would have been good as well. There was prawns in there. I liked I liked Scotty Scheffler's menu. All the food groups. Yeah, <laughs> all the major food I groups. I wanted to go. Barely a vegetable inside. I love that. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, no, very, very good. I could, I could get around that. I saw, Matty, and I know you've been an absolute banging this drum. I saw the menu list. You get there, you're talking... Sandwiches two dollars fifty. You're getting a beer for four. What about the prices in there? It's dead unreal, it's unreal, isn't it? You yeah. come here and you pay thirty two dollars for a warm midi of forex, not of not, <laughs> not strength beer. Not at the Wollongong Golf Club. Not at the Wollongong. Definitely sponsors. not at the Wollongong Golf. Sorry, sorry, you can't. It's a visual thing. I'm pointing across the road. Yeah, that's at, right. At an NRL venue. The where food, you're about and these drink, things. and service at Wollongong Golf Club. It rivals Augusta National. Scotty Scheffler would come here and have his meal. Absolutely, he would. Absolutely. In fact, they have the the pig on the spit out the front, giving a slice to golfers as they play. So. Aaron, let's uh, wrap up this Masters chat. What are you thinking? Does Brooks Kepka go on 
to to win it and lead start to finish, or is there a few twists to come over the, the oh, final look, two rounds? Look, Brooks is he's going to give it all he's got. He he couldn't wait to stick it to the PGA Tour, so this could be the weekend that he that he does do it. Um, but there's a there's a pretty stacked up lineup behind him, so it's it's always one of the most exciting weekends and. Literally, a 17th and 18th hole. Twists and turns, they always happen, so we can't wait to see who wears the green jacket this year. He looks dialed in, doesn't he? The US leader, Brooks Kepka, Jason Day, the leading Aussie, Tiger Woods right on the cut line, and Scotty Scheffler, the defending champ with work to do. Now, back to the Augusta of the South Coast. What's happening at the Wollongong Golf Club over the weekend? I was having a look and seeing that there's a big Easter Sunday planned tomorrow. So, yeah, so we've got... Um Again, we're doing Sunday sessions down here, so we're inviting all of the family and, and friends to come down and enjoy all our hospitality, and there's going to be a bit of an Easter egg hunt in the uh, children's playground. The golf will all be happening. You know, we've got a Sunday comp on. Um, we've got a massive weekend of golf. So today we've got um, Kino sponsoring um, a Titleist golf bag for the best score of the day, and we're also giving out $5 vouchers towards um, a promotion in the, in the Kino area. You know, when you mentioned Sunday session, Geno's ears pricked up. When you I mentioned Easter Egg Hunt, Geno's ears yeah. pricked up. When you mentioned vouchers, he almost <laughs> fell over himself. This is your sort of weekend, yeah, Absolutely. Jennings. Like I said, I, I could have done the four, get out there, get my four putt in, Minwoo Lee style, and come in here and uh, call it early. Come here and enjoy some of the Easter festivities. Right. Well, I tell you what, we've had a, a great morning already. The sun is shining. The course looks magnificent, as it always does. And the Masters gives us Viewing for the next couple of days on air, Fox Sports 3 tonight at 10.15. So an earlier time, very family-friendly time for viewers tonight. 10.15, a whole night of action. Let's hope the storms blow away. Aaron Kiebers, great to have you in here. Go well with the Wollongong Golf Club, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Okay, we'll take a break on Saturdays in the gong. Afterwards, we go from a little white ball to a bigger Steeden. There's a new player in town, Wollongong. There's a new player in town, Wollongong City GWM Havel. Visit them for a test drive today. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Now Cookwright getting it on the wheel list. Lovely pass to Cartwright. Mitchell is going to get a hat-trick for the fifth time he has a hat-trick. Big win for South Sydney with their fullback, their main man, front and centre. In fact, they had a number of contributors last night. Cody Walker, very good as well. The Bunnies, 50 to 16 winners over Canterbury to start your good Friday footy yesterday. Matt Russell, Mitch Jennings and Illawarra Mercury sports editor and Bulldogs fan, Tim Barrow in the house. He's wearing his Winx T-shirt. Could do with an iron, but I'll tell you what, Latrell Mitchell moved a bit like Winx yesterday, Tim Barrow, and as a result, your doggies were beaten 50 points to 16, my friend. How good were the Dolphins? <laughs> <laughs> we get into that after all 10 right, minutes all of right, the Dolphins. All right, let's go through it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a really, I mean, every good Friday game just goes off the charts in some way, shape or form, doesn't it? I mean, the dogs were actually good for the first 20 minutes. They I led 6-0. You know, they, they pinched that try off that scrum and raced away. They sort of got into the contest and sort of 20 minutes in you thought, well, everything's probably going the dogs way here at the moment. And then, but obviously in the middle of that, Addo Carr went down with that injury and I'll get into the state of the ground there at uh, Accor Stadium as we chat, but... Then it just went the whole other way, didn't it? That left side of the Bulldogs' defence, the, the Rabbitohs just went there all day and they got on top and the Dogs just had no idea how to stop it. So, yeah, I mean, the Rabbitohs had to find that, though. They 
we kept talking about Latrell Mitchell being too quiet and not getting involved in games enough. And, and you know, the Rabbitohs can be a bit of a downhill skier at times where they want the, the repeat sets or the penalties in the half and the good ball and everything. But they, they found a gear yesterday. Latrell was a bigger certainty yesterday to deliver than Latrell, uh, than Winks, the horse on your t-shirt, <laughs> because he'd spent the week yeah. telling everybody that he was aware he needed to be more involved, he wanted to contribute more. Game 150, it was set up for Latrell to have a big game. Three tries. He kicked his first seven goals. 26 points for the game. Two try assists. He was brilliant, Jenna. Absolutely, he was. He can sense an occasion, obviously. And look, let's be let's be fair. The Bulldogs are very undermanned. You see in big games often, teams that come up with good tactics can keep Latrell out of the game. And that's where we hear this talk about involvement and should he be more involved. But when you're the Bulldogs paddling a bit as they were with you know some injuries and just the momentum nine, swings, you nine players out. There you go. So, and they weren't gonna they weren't gonna keep him out of the game. And they can go for the jugular better than just about any team in the competition. As Baz mentioned there, once that car was off, Cody Walker, obviously typically normally plays on the left. He was patrolling that right edge and sending people away down there. Three tries in nine minutes leading into half time. It was all she wrote. Preston has been a really impressive player since coming from Norths last year, playing New South Wales Cup into Canterbury's pre-season team. Hasn't missed a beat in NRL, but I don't know whether he'll be there for the next couple of weeks, Geno, because this, or Baz, because this hip drop charge, we saw three players charge last Sunday, all with grade twos. Plenty of debate around that. I actually thought that Preston's tackle yesterday was worse than the three we saw last weekend. What about you? I just, I don't agree with that in that he was trying to strip the ball. So the momentum that the other player dropped off, the momentum was going forward against him. So I, I totally accept that. But he, he, he didn't drop off his shoulder or off his hip. He's actually trying to strip the ball. The thing that counts against him is the way that he sort of tries to wrap his leg at the end. That's the worst part of it, in that he's tried to strip the ball to start with, and I don't think there's any intent there in terms of injury. He doesn't actually fall on top of him. He actually falls onto the ground and then the South player's leg kind of goes underneath. So I think it kind of works in reverse in terms of intent at least, With, but the leg wraps around at the end. So I don't have any doubt that he'll get charged. I mean, that's the way the game is now, but I don't think in terms of the reason the rule was brought in that that's why he'll get... The, that that's why he's charged with it. I've got to disagree, Baz, and I'm with Matty on that. I think it was worse than the others, and I think... When it comes to a tackle like this, two words that we all want to lean on when it comes to anything, because we don't want to see guys getting penalised, we don't want to see guys getting rubbed out, so we always go to words like accident and intent. They're both irrelevant. Both irrelevant. Accident, like Most high tackles that we see that result in suspensions are accidental. I've hardly seen anything where a player has done any of these things that you cop suspensions for accidentally. I think it's actually starting to... It looked a bit different to the ones we have seen. Typically, it's been people falling on the back legs of a well, player as they're I mean. moving yeah. forward. Yeah. This obviously happened front on, but lost both his feet. Well, that's, that's the thing. As he, yeah. he, and then he tries to wrap his leg because he's lost his pivot. He's lost his, his um, centre of balance, obviously being off his feet. And he does try to wrap his feet. That's the worst part about it in terms of the way that he falls. But he doesn't actually fall on top of him to hurt his leg. He falls onto the ground and then the leg kind of comes in underneath. I tend to think as much as it was different, it wasn't across the back of the legs. I think if you start seeing these sorts of things front on as it was, I think the potential for injury is even greater if we start mm. seeing that. But I'm, we're trying to find our feet with this because it is something that's sort of crept in. As Jason Demetrio said, it's not something anyone practices. And I, I believe that. I don't believe that when you hear about wrestling and all this type of stuff. But in this, 
I do. But I think we're starting to get to the very simple fact to avoid this. You cannot use your body weight as an anchor in a tackle. It's simple as that. You cannot, when a guy's pushing through, you can't drop and use your body weight as an anchor because it's just where the potential for this comes but, in. But in that, he's trying to strip the ball. I don't actually necessarily say that he's to blame for doing that because the other players drop off thinking that he might be able to pinch the ball here. And so using his weight as an anchor isn't in terms of I'm trying to stop the player I think he's trying to actually pinch the ball and I just want to say can I I thought live I had no idea he was going to be penalised in Sinbin just watching live when I watched the replay I thought oh okay now I but just watching in the moment it wasn't one of those ones to me where I thought oh wow he's in trouble here I, I was actually stunned that, that that's what had happened so I understand the argument back and forth yeah. I just I just thought his interest in that tackle was trying to take the ball. I think this will sort itself out very quickly because after last Sunday, I believe watching Melbourne against the Roosters, I could see players tackling slightly differently, rolling their body weight away from legs as a result of last Sunday. And I think the playing group will quickly cotton on, scrap everything you thought was a hip drop and readjust. Say that if your body weight in a, in a defensive role goes down onto the legs of a basically held attacking player, you're going to I can think find ground. trouble. But I can does think it go onto the legs, That's what I mean. But I think I think in a lot of cases, we always think, okay, across the legs, dropping and using your body as an anchor like that, yeah. you can hit the ground Especially first, if you lose your feet. Lose your feet. If you lose your feet, that's where it's dangerous. And, and I, don't, I think it's relevant if they land on the legs as such. I think as soon as you use your body weight as an anchor, whether that's landing on the ground first and pulling someone over the top, which is essentially what happened yesterday, I think it becomes as simple as that. You you don't lose your feet, you can't use your body as an anchor. Whether you're in what's front the alternative the there? So if, if he doesn't try and strip the ball, right, and he realises that his body weight is behind him and, and it's the tackle's gone past him, what does he do? Does he release and let the player run? Maybe, but you know what? As the, as players adjust and there'll be a couple of incidents where, where coaches or fans are upset, but you know what? If you've got blokes who the next week are able to play because they don't have syndesmosis of the ankle or have just done their ACL, that that's the better of the two negatives. You've got to think to yourself, okay, do we want to just allow this to continue uh, so that we can allow these sort of tackles? Well, then you've got to say, well, then I'm happy to have blokes sit out the season with a bust ankle or busted oh, knee. Oh, for sure. No, yeah, they're, yeah. Alternatively, let's say, well, let's just navigate this and, and try and make the players change what they do in that situation. And if, God forbid, there's a try scored as a result, it's still better than having a bloke sit on the sideline for nine months with an ACL. So I'm yet to see it in the, I'm yet to see a hip drop in, in preventing a try. There you go. I don't think I, I think people defend differently on their try line. I think it's it happens in yardage when you've got big bodies, yeah, outside backs coming in through tired forwards with a fresh carry and they're just powering through and tired forwards are trying to do anything they can to bring him down, that's where you see it. Okay. Last night we all thought I did and people who were having a beer with me at the Fig Tree Men's Wellness Centre, aka the Fig Tree Hotel, <laughs> said that the men's shed <laughs> said that the uh, Dolphins were going to give up 50, that North Queensland was going to play itself into form with a cricket score. Well, after 80 minutes and a bit of this, here's what happened. Well, Marshall King Marshall will get into dummy half. Does he fire the pass back in front of the post? No, they will not. The defence opens up. The hammer. Vossi at his best. Hamaso Tabuai Fido at his best. And I tell you what, what an upset. Because they, they were missing a host of players and then lost Jesse Bromwich. 
And the Cowboys at home, in front of a big crowd, with their most influential players back. Drinkwater, Reuben Cotter. Yet, what, where, what's happening with the Dolphins? Where's this coming from? It was amazing, particularly that they've come off the really tough loss to the Broncos in the Battle of Brisbane, then were pretty disappointing down here against the Dragons. I mean, we just I just thought everyone else was caught up. You know, the Dolphins have set themselves a really big start to the season. They're playing simple, clean, efficient football, which is classic Wayne Bennett. And now after five or six rounds, everyone else is caught up because their combinations have gone past them. But then yesterday you thought, gee, that's a team that, I mean, the Cowboys weren't great, but that's a team that could make the top eight simply because look at the Asako try. I mean, you know, it's a simple kick to that corner in the in goal. But the way, as Vossi said, oh, slam dunks it in the corner, it was just... A phenomenal, great bit of rugby league. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't subscribe to the theory that the bubble burst. A lot of people were talking about that last week, and I was obviously here at the game covering that one uh, against the Dragons. They lost Milford there, 15 minutes in, and it obviously ran away. Wayne Bennett was quite frank afterwards, saying we all knew this game was coming. So I don't think he read too much into it. He said we'd, his words were, we'd probably played two semi-grand finals in these first four rounds, obviously with the first ever game for the club and then the Battle of Brisbane up there as well. They'd been up for a long time. There was inevitably some sort of fall. But for them to come back in last night, you know what I was struck by was that the similarities now between the Cowboys last year, now of course they're, they're far from a new franchise, but they were starting anew last year and obviously got a bit off to a bad start in round one, but they built through this time as well and started making believers of us all. They were a team that was under the radar, not a lot of expectations on them, yeah. and they really used that to build a platform. This year, it seems that they're just struggling. They're one of the hunted sides now. They're a top four side. There's expectation. People are watching them, and I think early on, they're perhaps struggling, and I think Cronulla as well, to a, to a lesser degree, but they've been a bit hit and miss as well. These are two teams that were not really, Cronulla to a degree, but not really predicted to hit great heights last season, ended up finishing top four. They've come in here as one of the big dogs teams want to get up against, and I just think they're both probably uh, struggling to deal with that a little bit. So the Dolphins, four wins from their first six games. We'll have a set of six questions relating to the Dolphins in a moment, but the Dolphins now go back home. Suncorp Stadium, just one of their homes, for the next two games against South Sydney on Thursday and then against the Gold Coast the following weekend. So a couple of interesting games for the Dolphins coming up. When it comes to set of six, last week I asked you who gets the most Dallian votes, Cronulla v Warriors. Was it Sean Johnson or Nico Hines? Well, SJ got six, Nico got none. That was the answer there. He'll Josh still win Reynolds. The though. Nico? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Josh Reynolds over or under 20 minutes in his return to the NRL at the Dogs. Well, it was 36, so it was way over the 20 minutes we were talking about. And, uh, yeah, the set of six coming up shortly as Maddie Campbell dials in from Bendigo. I hope Maddie knows what day it is today. More on that in a moment. <laughs> and we'll chat Dragons, Gold Coast coming your way as round seven or six of the NRL continues to listening to Saturdays in the Gong. Pops it out the back and here's Sloan. Gaps them. Look at him go. He breezes past the hammer. Did he get it down? I think Tabu Wifey, though, may have saved this. Well, this is a superb save if he has, but the try has been given by the referee, yet to be confirmed, but just glides across the field. Sloan. Oh, he does. Tyrell Sloan scored the seventh and final try at home for St. George Illawarra to beat the Dolphins 38-12 last week. They're on the road tomorrow against the Gold Coast. Matt Russell, Mitch Jennings, Tim Barrow bringing you Saturdays in the Gong, along with another of our regulars who is also on the road. Like the Dragons this weekend, Matt Campbell, come on in. Where are you? 
Hey, hey, boys, how you going? I'm down in Bendigo in Victoria at the moment, so gallivanting around. But uh, what a fantastic uh, night of football last night, boys, eh? Come on, let the listeners in. Tell us what happened yesterday. Do you know what day it is? Do you have your phone on today? <laughs> yes, I might, I might have uh, thought yesterday was actually Saturday and I was preparing for the show on the golf course as I was uh, and thought, oh, the boys have... Uh, they don't need me. They're just too good without. So, um, yeah, that was a well, bit funny week. yesterday. Well, that's every week. We bring you on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we snubbed him. Yeah. Works Matt, that way. Matty, we know you're the Illawarra Hawks general manager of basketballer, NBL Hall of Famer, sports enthusiast all round. Have you got the Dragons winning tomorrow against the Gold Coast on the Glitter Strip? Yeah, I do. I actually, I, you know... We've spoken about it all all uh, show so far across many weeks, how inconsistent they've been. But I, I, I was impressed with them last week, and I think they're building. So I think they might be able to get two wins in a row, which is uh, which is good as as a Dragons fan, as I've talked about most weeks. Um, you know, I was pretty excited to see a consistent performance from them last week, and uh, hopefully they build a little bit on that, and uh, we see that for the next few weeks. Do you know you cover the Dragons day in, day out? What news have you got for us about the Red V this week in terms of their preparation and winning chances tomorrow? Oh, well, look, they're obviously enjoying just a few of the uh, the negative headlines just being put at bay for a little while. Breathing space, I think, is how I put it in, in the copy I wrote last week. They get to go up there on the road. Obviously, it's a strange situation in terms of playing the Titans again so soon after after beating them. Uh, I, I guess some of the selection stuff, they there was a thought that... Well, we heard last week, I thought it was interesting that had uh, had Jaden Sullivan not done his that little shoulder injury he had, he might have gone onto the bench uh, at the expense of Moses Mboy. So a lot of people keep an eye on it this week, but Bud hasn't travelled with the team, so he's still down here. So that won't be happening this afternoon. Okay, be interesting to see how they bounce back. How often, how many false dawns have we seen with the Dragons over the years, particularly early in a season? We've seen so many. I saw so many similarities the way they started this year with. That game in Brisbane, where people said, "Look, they were they were right in it. They weren't far off it." And la- and last season, it was the same thing with Penrith at Cogra. Oh, they're not far off. And the wheels came off. They got up for that game, but then they dropped games that they shouldn't, which is typically the way they've played. So, this is a big test for them, I think, up there. And obviously, the Gold Coast missing a couple of couple of players. No Brimson, no foreign. Yeah, no Brimson. Injured before the bye. And they're two big guys. So you've got Toby Sexton and Tanner Boyd there, who I guess neither of them really put their stamp on the NRL at this point. Both pretty good when they've got a a foil outside them, but they're going to have to put it together this afternoon. I think the forward packs, the battle there is pretty interesting. They probably cancel each other out, but I think going up there, it tells you how unreliable the Dragons' form line can be, that they're going up there after the win they had last week, uh, the Dragons, Titans obviously by last week, so not a lot of recent form to go off, but they're still favourites with the bookies up there, the Titans. So I think it tells you how, as we just discussed, Baz, the uh, mm. the amount of times we see the Dragons within uh, a, a week uh, crumble and fall. Here's the Dragons. It's the door of destiny, the window of opportunity <laughs> for Anthony Griffin, right? they got the Titans. Then they play the Raiders, the Roosters on Anzac Day, the Bulldogs, the Tigers and the Cowboys in the next five weeks. Okay, go through that uh, again so we can all so, compute it really slowly. So do, the, do the ticks or crosses in your head as Baz goes through the draw. The Titans tomorrow afternoon. The Raiders, which used to be the Canberra curse down in Canberra, yep. but they've shrugged that off. They've got the Roosters on Anzac Day. The, yep. the injury hit Bulldogs down here in Wollongong. The Tigers, 
and then the Cowboys in the next five or six weeks. If Anthony Griffin is keeping his job for next year, they're winning plenty of them. That's the hallway of hope. Let's call it that. The hallway of hope. No one does alliteration like Matty Russell. The fantastic filibuster from Fig Tree. He can do it. Absolutely. Pete, the perfect panel puncher from Putney, the hardworking hero from Hunters Hill, keeps us going week in, week out. He's down here. He's brought Easter eggs for us. Matty, I'll have yours. Matty Campbell, you're not going to get any because uh, you're too far away. But, mate, I want you to head us off as we start the set of six, right? Matt Campbell. Uh, Cam Munster on Thursday night, 171 run metres, seven tackle busts, two try assists, a try of his own. If he stays fit, can Melbourne win the comp, Matty? Oh, I'd say no. Okay, I, just, I just don't a... think they've got enough. Okay. Absolutely Jenna? they can. Okay. I think if you put their spine in place, if you're going fully fit, Pappenhausen, Hughes, Munster, Grant, tell me a better spine than that, they can get there. Oh, they have to be perfect to win it. I would say no, but they'll have to be perfect okay. if they do. The Dolphins, four wins through six rounds, right? So they are a quarter of the way through their season now, 24 games in the regular season for each club. So if you times the four by four, you get to 16 wins if they continue to win at this rate. <laughs> so Minor how premiership. many wins, Matty Campbell, do you have the Dolphins clocking at the end of the regular season? I have them on 12, um, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do get to 16. They're, they're methodical about the way, the way they're playing football, <clears throat> and I like it, and it's going really well for them. But I'm okay, saying well, if they have 16, they're playing finals. If they have 12, they're right on the cusp. Geno? Yeah, I think 11, 12. That, that breaking even that sometimes been enough to get you into the finals and sometimes hasn't. Yeah, 10 or 11 for me. I still think teams will find them out, but, I mean, they're now in the conversation, aren't they, for finals? I've got them 10. Six more wins during the regular season. Okay, here's the New South Wales incumbent backline. Cleary, Luai, Tupo, To'o, Burton, Crichton, Tedesco. I'll go through it again. Cleary, Luai, Tupo, To'o, Burton, Crichton, Tedesco. Should Campbell Graham be in the 17 for Origin 1, Matt Campbell? The South Sydney centre, who's in stunning form. I say yes, but I don't know who you drop. So, um, yeah, I think he should be. He's in outstanding form, as you said, and I think he's the kind of origin player we need. What about what about uh, Crichton onto a wing for, say, Daniel Tupo and Campbell Graham mm. into the centres? But, Geno, over to you. Well, are we factoring in Latrell, Tommy, to these guys? Well, there you go. That's, where I, that's why I don't think you're fine yep. for Campbell Graham. I'd, I would put him at the direct expense of Stephen Crichton, but given the, the cavalry coming back, I'd be, I wouldn't know. Well, Queensland won't be throwing telegraphed left-sided plays like the Bulldogs <laughs> were yesterday, so um, I think he's a very good player. I, I probably just don't see a spot for him, but uh, yeah, Queensland will have more than the Dogs did yesterday. Okay, uh, Matty Campbell, most Dally M points at Blue Bet Stadium this evening. Dylan Edwards for the Panthers or Tom Drabojevic for the Sea Eagles? Two great I'd, geez, um, I'd say Edwards only because I think the Panthers are going to win. Ditto. Penrith to win, therefore Edwards to get more Dalian points. He's still so underrated, Edwards. He's such a good player. Okay, righto. Now, three of the four teams off a bye have won. Remember that? Three of the four teams after the bye have won. The only team to miss out was Penrith in that golden point thriller against Parramatta. So the bye sets teams up nicely. Gold Coast off the bye against the Dragons tomorrow, Matty Campbell, having beaten the Dragons 32-18 a month ago. Does the Red V score more or less than 18 tomorrow against the Titans? Oh, I say they're more, um, and they have to to be able to win the game. So they showed that if they if they put points on the on the on the opposition, they can be competitive. So for me, that's their style. They're trying to get after. So it'll be very free flowing, and I, I think they get thirty plus tomorrow. Interesting point about the boy, Matty. The 
best wisdom is you want it later on, not early, but it's helping some teams early on. I think less. I, I'm tipping the Titans to win, so I think less. It's the sort of game the Dragons could score 30 and you're not sure whether they'll win. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> well, the scoring uh, games has been like that, hasn't it? Teams losing with twenty eight losing games with 26, 28, 30 points on the board. Rarely happens. Happened mm. a lot this year. Lucky last. Which firing squad should West Tigers stand in front of? The US Marines or the Australian Army, Maddie Campbell? Oh, well, the US Marines. <laughs> I'll go to the Australian Army. They deserve some revenge after that botch. Oh, we're going edgy, aren't we? <laughs> they, sh- they should be standing in front of their own board because they won't hit the target. <laughs> Matty, uh, time's against us, but we've got to touch on basketball. That's right in your sweet spot very quickly. I, we know that the Hawks, who are trying to take down the Kings next season, have say- signed Mason Peatling. We know that uh, Justin Tatum, Jason Tatum's father, has been in town helping the Hawks with a bit of uh, guidance. We know that... Uh, Xavier Cooks has gone to the NBA and had his best game since arriving at the Washington Wizards. What's uh, crossing your desk in this period of free agency most? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously the Hawks, uh, we're, we're in a really you know, we're, we're more advanced than any other team in the league at the moment. So from our point of view, we're sort of in a little sit and wait and see what the fallout is from some of the bigger clubs. The really interesting part is the Sydney Kings and them and Melbourne United, two of the heavyweight teams in the league, are yet to really make some real um, decisions on their roster. So there is some um, absolute talent hanging out there that are sort of waiting. And I wouldn't be surprised if one or if not both of these teams have got like a little bit of a surprise. Leave like a like a quality player coming back from Asia or maybe an NBA guy falling out. So. It's going to be very interesting over the next few weeks to see what the two powerhouse clubs do in this free agent period. Well, Matty Campbell, travel safely. Enjoy the golf in Bendigo. We'll see you back here in no time at all. Good luck as you continue to navigate free agency. We will head to a break, and on the other side, we're going to go to Baz's best. He's the form guide guru on a big day of racing at Randwick, the championships. Grand final day for many. We have much to talk about. There's a new player in town, Entrack. to play that I love it. Mr. Brightside won the Doncaster last Saturday in a tough day for punters. Today four group ones at Randwick which probably explains why I woke up in such a good mood this morning. Looking forward to all that this afternoon at the championship. So we're going to be a bit parochial here. Saturday's in the gong. Kerry Parker's Kembla trained Hope in Your Heart finished fourth to Mr. Brightside last week and backs up in the Queen of the Turf this afternoon. Lightning couldn't strike twice for the Kembla trainer, could it, Baz? Because we know what happened a year ago. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the great Queen Elizabeth wins last year. Uh, Nasharilla, you know, coming up with the plan to go to the outside rail. You hear Darren Flindell's voice just booming. And they run, you know, run down Zaki late to win that race. They they just thought that Think It Over couldn't win on a rain-affected track. And he just did such an amazing job. And then 
Kerry had the tendon injury with Think It Over, so Think It Over's been out of action ever since the Queen Elizabeth. He now gets another Group 1 contender in the Queen of the Turf with hope in your heart. She was enormous last week. She jumped from the widest gate, went right back to last and flew, absolutely flying home. You know, Kerry said, oh, I just I'd never thought she could win and, you know, she was a length off, but she was amazing. And if she can handle the short back up, then she is a massive chance. What today. about the track conditions? Yeah, well, I did notice it's gone upgraded to an eight, so you'd like to see it get back into the soft range if possible. But she showed last week she can handle it. So if there's enough in the tank for hope in your heart today, draws barrier four, um, got pretty bad barrier manners, so she'll go back anyway. But, you know, provided she finds a bit of room when it matters, she's going to go horribly, horribly close at the uh, $8 quote. Does the, I was about to say, does the Jennings Bank have a bit of the $8 about hope in your heart? I'm absolutely all over hope in your heart. Like Baz said, I reckon last week a sensational run in the Doncaster the way it finished on a heavy track over this trip. I think at $8, monstrous value. I'll be all over that. Now, with a view to the Ashes later on in the year at the cricket uh, level, Today we've got Australia, England, Animo v Dubai Honour. Uh, this will be a great Queen Elizabeth. But Montefilia, uh, owned by Hugh and Kathleen Doherty from Winoona, which is, for those listeners in Sydney, between Wollongong and Bulli, a beautiful suburb uh, down here in the Illawarra. Can Montefilia run a place or maybe even upset the two powerhouses, Animo v Dubai Honour? Is it a match race, Baz, or does Montefilia have something to say? No, I definitely think she can run second or third. I think um, Dubai Honour wins and wins pretty comfortably. Um, they, they worried about whether the track was too firm last time and won by four lengths. I think Animo's best trip is a mile. And I just don't think he's going to be up to it. They might still take him overseas. Uh, he's Australia's probably Australia's best horse, won nine group ones. But I think Dubai Honor, who is not, you know, England's best horse coming out here, but I, I just think he's he's going to be too good. But I think Montefilia will run a good race. I'm, I'm still on Animo. I'm sticking solid. Like you said, I don't think Dubai Honor has been setting the world on fire in Europe. Comeback, obviously, very very good in the Randvet, and that is a that's always a great lead in a D one going in. Interesting for me, though, I wonder if it becomes the match race. I read some interesting stuff this week from Glenn Boss thinking about this race two years ago, uh, and he said he rode Sir Dragon Net to beat Very Elegant. That's how he rode, not to win the race, uh, and they both got done by Adib in that. Do you think you've got to be cautious in this one, Baz, of, uh, of calling it a race in two? Yeah, well, I, I think it is a race in two, but... Okay. Queen of the Turf, Queen Elizabeth, of course, the Australian Oaks and Sydney Cup. Four Group 1s. We'll talk about those second two races in the second hour of Saturday's In the Gong. But after this, we're going to bang the gong. One of our favourite segments, Bang the Gong, coming up next. There's it is time to bang the gong, good or bad, about life in the Illawarra this week. My boys were extras in a Hollywood movie this week. Wow. Simply, down at Albion Park shooting an R-rated rom-com. Wow. And you know, Los Angeles when you've got Albion Park. I'm going to bang the gong on that stupid merge, right? You come along Spring, uh, come along Five Islands Road, onto Spring Hill Road, since the cycling. That little merge is as small <laughs> as that crap piece of pizza at the end of the Domino's Pizza. That tiny bit that's been cut for, fix it, I'm sick of it. <laughs> Flinders Public School, my boy won the Easter chocolate raffle. You beauty. Oh, there you go. That's a good banging of the gong. I'll tell you what else I'm going to bang the gong about. Beach walking. It's fantastic. It gives you a real workout. We're living so close to so many wonderful beaches. We're back next hour.
Good morning, I'm Mark Braybrook with SEN News. Clay has been suspended for the day midway through a wild second round of the US Masters in Augusta. Strong winds brought down three trees on the 17th. No one was injured. American Brooks... Welcome to Saturdays in the Golf on SEN Track. to everybody what a special time of year it is spiritual for some space for others in terms of some holiday time social catching up with family and friends sweet look at the chocolate spread across this table thanks to pete the perfect panel puncher from putney who's providing all the goods it's a great time of year especially on the sporting front matt russell Tim Barrow, Mitch Jennings with you as Saturdays in the Gong rolls on every Saturday morning. We're here thanks to our fantastic hosts, Wollongong Golf Club, Impact Garage Doors, and there's a new player in town, Wollongong City Motors, Motors GWM Haval. Visit them, have a test drive today, Wollongong City Motors. Now, men, we've gone through part of a big day at Randwick today. We've gone through the Queen Elizabeth, the Queen of the Turf, but Australian Oaks... Uh, Pavitra, the Kembla Classic winner, Baz. What's happening on that front? Is Pavitra running or not? Uh, yeah, currently still in. Um, I'm told the stable have had a few conversations this week about whether it was going to happen or not. We're up to a heavy eight. So I'd be on track watch for that. Uh, 2.35 this afternoon. The sun's out. They would love that track to get into the soft range for, for Pavitra. We were at Kembla Classic Day when she won by four lengths and just dominated that mm-hmm. race. And I thought then, wow, there's the Australian Oaks winner. So I'm not jumping off, even if it stays an eight, but they'd love it to at least be seven. Well, it's windy. It's windy across the eastern seaboard and it's sunny and meant to be warm. That's, what, seven hours away, that race at the moment. So it could well be seven or six maybe even by then. Especially at Randwick too. So yeah. there's, there's an opportunity that we'll, we'll be in an okay range. But Sydney did, I know south of Sydney copped a fair bit of rain uh, there last night. So we'll be playing on a rain-affected track regardless, but I'm not dropping off Provincia, uh now. Uh, Sydney Cup, Cleveland the favourite. Gold Trip chasing the Sydney-Melbourne Cup doubles. King Frankel, what a horse Frankel was. Well, he's King Frankel. Uh, Baz, did you back Gold Trip in the Melbourne Cup? I did not. What about no, you, Jenna? I did not. No, I did no. not. Okay, will you be backing Gold I was actually Gold on Monophilia. There you go. I yeah. think I was too. Uh, you're backing Gold Trip in the Sydney Cup then, Jeno. I actually like Arapaho, if I never say that correctly. Arapaho. Arapaho, yeah. I, I like that. I thought pretty good in the tanker ahead of Montefilia there. I think <sighs> nicely weighted, rain a plus. I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. And at $13, there's some value there in the each way stakes for mine. He was outstanding in uh, that last run in that Tancred, uh, winning that. But I'm, I'm going to go with Cleveland. Today's grand final day. They've brought it out uh, from Ireland. Um, and all the talk this week is that Cleveland is ready to go. Draws barrier 17. That'll be a little bit awkward, but there's no weight on. Um, $4 favourite. Yeah, I'll be going with Cleveland. Jen, I just got a text here from Baz's beautiful wife saying she has a long list of jobs she wants Tim to knock off between 2 and 6 this afternoon. So uh, you'll be outside all afternoon, mate. That's why they call it a long weekend. <laughs> or they can wait till tomorrow or Monday or next week. Now, I mentioned Impact Garage Doors, our fantastic fantastic sponsors impacting homes in the Illawarra for 20 years impactgaragedoors.com.au here is our big impact moment of the week it's actually our big impact audio moment of the week
I've obviously worked under Noddy before and uh, been a part of the West Tigers Club in the Harvey Norman um, Premiership last year and I really enjoyed my time and, you know, it was a big decision for me um, to come here but, yeah, I really wanted to challenge myself and be in a new environment and I just felt like I'd, I'd fit in very well here and um, obviously excited to play with Bo and um, also Sulla as well and everybody else that is going to come into the West Tigers. So I'm excited for the challenge and um, the new environment and the facilities here are amazing. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to be able to come in and, and train and, um, and to rip in. Our question for everyone listening, whose voice was that? I won't leave you in suspense for too long. It was Kezi Apps, who has given Sir George Illawarra such great service on the NRLW front, announcing that she's ditching the Red V and putting on the Tiger Claw. She's off to the West's Tigers, Jenna. I, uh, I recoiled when I heard this news this week. Yeah, you're not the only one. And it, look, it joins... What is a mass exodus? There's no, there's no way around it. Obviously, you can add Rachel Pearson to it. Yesterday, she's off to the Eels on a on a three year deal, uh, and obviously, there's this is going to stay the story. There's a lot of people might be saying, why don't you focus on who they've got? Well, until they start playing games and we have something like that to talk about, this is and will remain the story because I mean they're they're pretty pressing questions. Talia Fumano, another one to go. Keely Davis is going to go. Emma Tonegato, I understand, going to go as well. So when that happens, from the outside looking in they don't want to be there at the club any longer. And they're already playing for the Steelers, so they all live down here. There's got to be a reason they don't want to be there. I can't say with any certainty why that is, but we're yet to see, obviously, Ray C. McGregor, a, a big signing for the Dragons on a, on a one-year deal. But uh, we're yet to see any big marquee re-signing as far as the Dragons go. And what's concerning about that is that now that we're into this multi-year deal stage, as I said, Rachel Pearson three years at the Eels, Talia Fuamano three years uh, at the Titans, Kezi on a multi-year there at the West Tigers. You can't recover from recruitment missteps just in a season like you used to be able to in this competition. You could reset, start again because we're in these one-year cycles. You can't do it quickly. So if you make mistakes in this area, it can be a long, long recovery. And for me, that's what the concern is obviously going forward. I know it's not apples and apples because there's multiple new teams coming into the competition. They're obviously going to throw cash around at good players and try and attack them, uh, attract them to other clubs. So all's fair, you know, particularly, I guess, in a case like Kezi App, she's a marquee player. Other clubs are going to be interested. But my, my sticking point with it is that imagine in the men's competition, the women's competition doesn't get the level of scrutiny and the level of coverage as the men's competition. The Mercury, you know, we love the women's competition. We've devoted a huge amount of coverage to it. But could you imagine if a Penrith or a Roosters lost four, five, six representative Mm. international players? Can you imagine the reaction to losing that number of players? The only other thing I was going to throw in, and I spoke about it last week, Keely Davis, losing Keely Davis, a player who went out of her way to be the face of the Steelers New South Wales women's team. So she's gone and set up that extra step in the pathway, built the Steelers to be at that semi-professional New South Wales level, and now she's gone from the Dragons, the elite team. So there's just something not right there. And you hit on a good point there, Baz. And what I also want to say is a lot of people will be questioning, obviously, Jamie Soward as the coach there and his recruitment and what's going on there. I want to say St. George Lawara, the joint venture, in their women's program, have basically dragged the chain from the jump. After getting that inaugural licence, which was warranted, they got that. Some other clubs that missed out uh, threw the toys out of the cot. Cronulla most notably claimed to be the pioneers, which was just never the case. But that happened. But since then, 
everything has been reactionary, everything has been dragging the chain, everything's slow on the uptake. I mean, it's only this year that we've got a St George Dragons and Illawarra Steelers side in the Harvey Norman Premiership. There was a yawning gap mm. in the club's pathway for years. They didn't want to invest a cent more or a minute's more energy than they absolutely had to in that space. And you can't get into that. Daniel Lacey, the former coach, was crying out for a Harvey Norman team. He said, we have a glaring gap in our pathway. We're losing our players to other clubs. And it's not that difficult to do. Battling Helensburg, the battling Helensburg Tiger Lilies, had a team in that competition that reached the finals. It was obviously ultimately abandoned because of COVID. So what you're happening with this gap in the pathway, Kezi Apps just spoke there about how she'd had something to do with Noddy before, how she'd been part of the West Tigers before. Why is that? Because there was no Harvey Norman Premiership team at St. George Illawarra. You go out, you foster other relationships, and here we are at NRLW level, losing the face of the club, your skipper, and one of the all-time greats of the game because you made a mistake back then. And the kicker is that the Illawarra women's competition is the strongest rugby league heartland for women's rugby league in the competition. Well, it had been traditionally, yeah. That, that's right. So, just, you know, when you feed all of that in together, yeah, there's an issue there. So, do we currently have the situation, will it become the situation or will it never be the situation that a club, an NRL team and an NRL club is judged also on the success and actions of an NRLW team. For example, if the Dragons stink through the middle back end of the season and then the Dragons NRLW team comes in and doesn't deliver, does that affect club as a whole or will people distance the men from the women's side of a club? Because that would provide the motivation for a club like St George Illawarra to not drag the chain, to not have an oversight when it comes to NRLW, knowing that there's going to be blowback coming our way for the men and the club as a whole if we don't have a whole of club culture and attitude. Yeah, it's a very, very good point, Matty, about whether it could, I think uh, it can be something that clubs might lean on if their women's program is going well while they're floundering at NRLW level, but I don't think it'll save you. I guess the best example of that is the Broncos for the first three seasons of NRLW yeah. were all conquering, beating everybody, and that didn't do anything to stop people putting the boot in to the Broncos that were struggling and having a, an absolute cluster, you know what, at NRLW, uh, sorry, at NRL level. So I don't think it will go hand in hand, but uh, look, it can help. And I think as you go on, you will be judged more and more by how you handle that and how it does become a part of a whole of club process. Because if, if West Tigers continue to stink and then Noddy's team in NRLW, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if they came in and were showing the same sort of traits as the NRL team, not winning, playing poorly, etc., etc., uh, wouldn't that be another dagger thrown towards West Tigers and, 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 and any club that found itself in that situation? Oh, so it should be. Premierships are one in the front office. You know, it's a famous Jack Gibson quote, and it's absolutely true. In St. George Illawarra's case, and... There's other clubs in Sydney. There's 40-odd million dollars of taxpayer money being spent on a high-performance centre up the road here at the University of Wollongong Innovation Campus. So in the long term, clubs have to be judged on how all their programs run. If that money is going to be spent, well, it's wasted cash if you're not actually providing a whole-of-club approach and an elite pathway and performance on the field. That's the end result. Yeah, well, it becomes interesting. Ryan Webb actually brought that up when the Dragons unveiled the plans for their own $50 million centre of excellence they're going to have down here. One of the things he brought up was that at their current base at Wynn Stadium, because the facilities there are so limited, they basically have no interaction between their, their women's team and their men's team because they can't both be there at the same time because mm. the facilities aren't there. Yeah. So that centre of excellence is something the Tigers will obviously lean on uh, and it, it will help. It is something that all clubs are willing to look at. What The interesting question for me is... What 
the feeder and the pathway system to NRLW is going to look like going forward because at the moment you've got Harvey Norman premiership teams. Obviously the Steelers uh, are in it this year and that was basically, like I said, no real support from St George Illawarra level. The Illawarra Rugby League basically went out and, and asked for forgiveness more than permission, got their bid up and running to complete their pathway all the way through from Tasha Gale Cup into the into the top grade. Emma Tonegato, Keely Davis, Fui Mayano, Kezi Apps all plying their trade for that team at the moment. But whether we will have a reserve grade that flows directly down from NRLW mm. uh, in future, whether those seasons will run parallel you is have interesting. to, don't you, eventually? Well, you can, I mean, but that's what becomes interesting. So you've got this Illawarra Steelers side. Could this be this season be their last real pitch with this all-Illawarra side at winning a premiership? Because I don't know if, you know, the West Tigers, if they have their Harvey Norman premiership team, they're going to be all that keen to have Kezi every winter going back and playing Absolutely. the Steelers. Or they're going to have, you know, Emma Tonegato if she's at Cronulla, which is where she's been linked. I don't think the Sharks are going to be too happy if she's going and playing in another club's feeder system. So mm. that becomes very interesting. That's very much watch this space. But, uh, yeah, it's something to, to look at going forward. And it just shows you how missteps at the top level have a flow-on effect that can hurt the level below. Take a big breath, reload. We've got more rugby league to talk about, a lot more right after this. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on a beautiful day at the Wollongong Golf Club. Doherty trying to bend it towards that top corner and the opening goal is for Scotland 60 seconds into the second half. An absolutely stunning strike. Just her second ever international goal from Nicola Doherty. The 30-year-old veteran. Uh, that was the Scotland team beating the Matildas overnight. The Illawarra Mercury, great supporters of Saturday in the Gong. Subscriptions, illawarramercury.com.au. Let's bring in a man who writes for the Mercury, comes from a famous footballing family. He's no doubt enjoying some part of Easter at the Great Jamboree Hotel where Mitch Jennings and Tim Barrow hope to have their band notices lifted soon. Jordan Warren... Good to hear from you over Easter. Talk to us about that Matilda's result overnight. Yeah, good day, boys. Happy Saturday. Yeah, I was able to watch just the first half of the game against Scotland last night. It was obviously a bit of a late one, but yeah, obviously a uh, pretty changed up Matilda's side. Obviously, the big out um, from a local perspective was no Caitlin Ford. She's obviously um, nursing that hamstring injury and sort of in rehab at her club in Arsenal. But also another big one was not the use of Captain Sam Kerr. She was on the bench. Um, for the whole game in the 1-0 loss to Scotland. So it was a bit of a, a change lineup. The massive positive for the Matildas, obviously, was Ellie Carpenter back in the side at right back, and she was doing a thing, flying down the wing and looking very dangerous. So that'll be a, an interesting selection headache for Tony Gustafson with the upcoming FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in July and August. But, uh, yeah, 1-0 loss at the end of the day. So it kind of did show the Matildas' weakness, I sort of guess, when they don't have their superstars on the pitch, including Ford and Kerr. They're sort of uh, struggling a little bit. Obviously, they, they played some good stuff, but um, Scotland, yeah, world number 23. Matildas, I can't exactly remember. I think there's something like world number 10 at the moment. It's obviously Jesse Southwell uh, is there. Tamika Upton uh, is there. Yasmin Clydesdale. So, so it's a pretty stacked side, and they've been building momentum as they've gone the Knights. But, uh, look, the Steelers were very, very good against Cronulla on Monday night. And while we're, we'll rebang the gong, I think, because I want to give a rap to the Steelers faithful. I went there on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> expecting to be one of two people next to a dog there and the grandstand there at Collegians was packed so it was more than just family and friends there's some Steelers faithful getting around it uh, and that was great to see on a Monday night and probably got them home in the end it's it's 
it was almost a twisting of the knife because they got home that night off the boot of Rachel Pearson, no doubt about it, in a mm. tight one. Absolutely mm. tormented the Sharks back three. Had a bit of a rough night off the tee, it's got to be said, so she wasn't quite kicking the goals, but mm. a clutch 40-20 down the stretch, spiral bombs, Matt Burton like that were just giving that Cronulla back three nightmares. And I watched that and then saw this week that she'd left the Dragons and it just sort of stung a little bit, but she was outstanding. And it's been said the last couple of weeks when they've all had their big guns in the team it's really been the difference a couple of times it helps at this level to if you can be in a bit of a contest to have a, a Keely Davis or an Emma Tonegato you know floating around out there for that match winning play for you but as I said there I mentioned a few Newcastle got their share of uh, of match winners in their side as well so that'll be one to get to midday yeah good midday get the there, early excuse to crack a few cans Absolutely. get a taste of steel and uh, get out there and, and support them cause which, which is Fig Tree opposite Fig Tree Grove Shopping Centre over the road yep. Collegiate Sports Complex great Facilities. Go and watch the uh, Steelers Harvey Norman team. Hopefully, beat the Knights. Now, Group Seven. It has started. They've got an Easter break. But what's happened over the first two rounds in Group Seven? Give us a snapshot. Well, it's all been happening. I think the interesting thing for me, the, the result that stood out for me, was Shell Harbour knocking off the reigning champs in Round One. Shell Harbour intriguing factor for me this year. I mean, they've got everything in place where they really should be a powerhouse in that competition and probably last season fell away from the standards they've set. And Morilla, they're going to be, you know, the hunted team. That's always a derby. So I thought in round one, that was a result that really, you know, pricked my interest. The other team that's interesting is the Stingrays getting off to a strong start. And uh, look, they're one to watch as well because I just wonder, they, the club was absolutely transformed there under uh, the Ray brothers there as far as coming down from obviously a name synonymous with the West Footy yep. Club but down there in Group 7 to really uh, I guess reboot what had been a struggling sort of fledgling Stingrays outfit now Tommy Warner in charge there as a captain coach and they're an interesting one to watch too so we hit pause over the Easter weekend but uh, got off to a good start and that's going to be a hell of a competition this year When does the Illawarra competition get up and going? The weekend before Anzac Day Okay right up and, so and how many teams have we got locked in for the Illawarra? Six Six Okay which leads me into our next discussion about Country Rugby League and I'll throw Illawarra into that because I was in Mudgee last weekend that's where I started my uh, professional journey I suppose working out of Orange but covering teams in Mudgee Central West Group 10 Group 11 territory I watched um, Mudgee play Forbes in the warm up to that NRL game Manly against Newcastle and it was great to see names like Nathan Orr scoring tries along with Jaden Brown Corin Smith and, and you know good young players but but what was missing was the NRL element to a significant level that it used to be where we had players coming back from Sydney or on a fast track towards Sydney clubs and it became very evident that we need to do more and more for country rugby league as a as a game because it provides so much it's the bottom of the pyramid on top of which the NRL sits right so at Mudgee great crowd fantastic facility well done to Des Kennedy the mayor Ken Sutcliffe the unofficial mayor of Mudgee making sure that uh, games like this continue to happen so this year we're going to uh, Mudgee Darwin Wagga Wagga Bathurst Coffs Harbour Tamworth Bundaberg Cairns Perth there's also games in Wellington New Zealand Napier New Zealand Hamilton New Zealand so that's a really good start. And all those visits will do so much for Country Rugby League, no doubt. You know, since the NRL has been going to Mudgee, junior registrations are up 40%. Mm. So there's a case in point why we need to do it. Do we need to do a bit more? Why doesn't the South Coast have a premiership game this year? No, they should. I, I think there should be a, a regular season game in as many country venues. Obviously, the venue's got to be up to standard. Yes. Um, I grew up in Wagga in the same way coming out of you said Group 10, Group 11. I covered Group 9, cut yep. my teeth in journalism 
covering that competition, um, clubs are struggling, and they've been struggling for a long time. The number of times Laurie Daly's had to go down to Junee and try to rally the troops when they've been mm. struggling, and he does a great job, amongst other ex-NRL players. Trent Barrett, one of the heroes from the Illawarra here. Tamora. He's from Tamora. You know, so there's all those connections. There's plenty of Group 7 coaches who have come out of Wagga and all the Group 9 Riverina area as well. So um, there needs to be support. Obviously, there needs to be facilities in place to play those games. But if it's not games, there needs to be pathways. Because we keep talking about money, cash, you know, how, how's it going to work? You know, throw money at, at Country Rugby League. It's struggling. Yeah, they are struggling. But some clubs are mismanaged. Some clubs need to be helped. So there's, there's all these different layers of how it works. But you need to have processes in place to make it work. And as you said, when participation is going through the roof by having games in that area well if it's not games then it needs to be clinics and pathways and all of that sort of stuff it needs it needs a massive boost what's interesting for me and why i take an interest in that area of the world maddie is because you know i've been beating a bit of a drum here about what rugby league should look like here with the illawarra and the south coast and out there the peter mcdonald cup group 10 and 11 emerge emerge competition and i'm always taking a keen interest in that they compete for their traditional premiership trophies in a first-past-the-post yep. way. And then they have a, a four, or a, sorry, a five-team, or a, I'm actually not sure on how many numbers play in the finals, but they have a, a full final series, which then goes for a premiership trophy. That is absolutely the model we need here. We just mentioned six teams yes. in Illawarra. It's not enough, but the Illawarra, the way demographics have changed, the way everything's shifting south. Oh, I've spoken about this at length. I've written about this at length, so I won't rehash all of it but as far as a straight merger that can be a hard sell how's that going to look like if you get it wrong how do you fix it if you do that I think a conference system like we see in the Peter McDonald Cup yep. with an Illawarra conference and a, and a traditionally group 7 conference playing against each other both competing for their respective premiership trophies and then a final series to me it's a no brainer it should be instituted down here as early as next year but if not at least work towards it the following year. I think it's... We've seen it in practice yeah. now. It was spoken about. We're starting to see these things in practice now. We can actually look at it and say, well, look, here's what it looks like. Here's the model. Been a raging success. We've seen mergers with MacArthur and Group 6. That competition's going as well. We need to make some changes here in our part of the world as far as our country rugby league to ensure the overall health of it. Of what is a powerhouse region? Just look at here. the look at the NRL. Joint ventures have worked so well. Oh, well, yeah. of course, <laughs> so well. But the, so. Amount of, the amount of people, Matty, that say the amount of people that say to me, if you just if you did that, it'd be the best. Yeah, it'd I, be the best country footy comp in the country, and it would be. Oh, it I agree. Absolutely, I would agree. Be. Let's do so it. So we need to get there. The we need to look at it. Look at the Peter McDonald Cup. Let's get it happening here. There'd be here. plenty of North Sydney Bears fans blowing up right now at <laughs> that, that comment about uh, well, joint ventures. Let me tell you, hold your North Sydney Bears because we've got a wonderful uh, segment called Making the Mercury. And it's even got its own sting. Here he is Making the Mercury. That's Mitch Jennings and Tim Barrow working feverishly into the night to the, get the Illawarra Mercury the out. The one finger typing. Got me cigarette, <laughs> me cigarette holder. Head to illawarramercury.com.au to get your subscription. I've got mine. I even pay for it, so uh, I can thoroughly recommend it. What's making the Mercury in your eyes, Baz? Yeah, well, speaking of the Bears, we're talking about the Steelers playing this afternoon in the New South Wales women's competition. The, the Dragons men's team play the North Sydney Bears in the New South Wales Cup this afternoon. Now, if the Bears win, they'll join the Bulldogs at the top of the New South Wales Cup competition. But 
the interesting, I wrote my column today around uh, the ambition of the Bears and, and just the contrast to how the Illawarra sits now these days as part of the joint venture. So I've had a few people since the, the Bears, sort of the campaigns ramp, ramped up to become part of the NRL again, a few people keep asking me like, would the Steelers ever come back? Is it a possibility? You know, 20-team competition, as Peter Volandis had talked about, would it ever possibly happen? The short answer is no. Mm. So... <laughs> Some bells that can't be unrung. That, that's right. But, yeah. but, I mean, they're also committed to the future. We've, as I said, we've got the high-performance centre coming down here. The Dragons are very much committed to life on the South Coast. They've invested in the Illawarra, the Pathways programs and everything else that goes with it, aside from the women's competition, as you spoke about before. But the broader thing is is that the Bears are in complete contrast. So they want their identity back, which the Steelers won't get back. But they will only become part of the NRL if they become the nomads, the rugby league evangelists who go and spread the word. <laughs> so they could be could be in Perth. It could be a you know Pacifica team. They could land in Cairns. They could be a, another Brisbane team. But the only way the Bears is going to happen, and they know that, they've spoken mm. about that, is that we'll play our two or three games at North Sydney Oval and celebrate that, but the rest of the time we're at Optus Stadium in Perth. or uh, you know. So... Um, it's just a very interesting contrast that the Bears come down here today in the New South Wales Cup. They're very successful, have been as a feeder club for quite some time, but their standing is going to be the complete opposite of the Illawarra, that we won't have our standalone identity again, but, gee, we've got the assets and we'll always have the locally-based club. We want the... Be- yeah, well said. And I'll tell you what, that's given us some food for thought. Mr Maestro, have we got the making the Mercury uh, sound effect again? Because I want to set Geno up for his... Uh, uh, there it is. There it is. Beautiful. Geno, what's making the Mercury through your eyes? Well, look, it was very interesting this week. We'll... You know, no apologies for it. This is Rugby League Heartland down here. We like to focus on the Dragons and uh, the 13-man code a lot, but we do produce Wallabies. We've always spoken about Jed Holloway. He was always the real flag bearer for Rugby Union in this region, a Wanuna Shamrocks product. And we've had another Wanuna Shamrocks product named for the Wallabies this week, Blake Shop. Picked in Eddie Jones' first ever Wallaby squad after five Super Rugby starts. It's a pretty meteoric rise Absolutely. for him. Uh, obviously the brother of Aaron Shop, Gold Coast Titan Star, uh, Thoreau Butcher's product as well. But uh, obviously he went down. He Blake's moved up to uh, to Nudgee College, that famous rugby nursery up there in Brisbane and on a rugby scholarship, came back down here, uh, played shoot shield for Ramwick and wasn't all that long ago, he was a PE teacher as well, but it wasn't that long ago that he was uh, wondering how long he'd be playing rugby. And obviously he was a bit of a Waratahs discard as well, but snapped up there by the Brumbies, five starts and here he is at 23 years old a loose head prop in Eddie Jones's first Wallaby squad so fantastic the Wununa Shamrocks crew great great rugby club there and they'll be uh, they'll be very proud that they've uh, they've produced another one so good on him Blake fantastic Shop. fantastic making the mercury a regular segment on Saturdays in the gong apparently we've got to go to the news so that's coming up next and then Jordan Warren joins us to talk all things football a little bit disappointed in the result, but uh, we've got England on, on Wednesday uh, morning, I think it is, our time in Australia. So uh, that'll be an extremely uh, interesting class, just purely on the fact that it's an Ashes lineup. It's England versus Australia, and also England are a very good side and a number of women's Super League stars in that uh, squad. So it should be an interesting game. And see how it'll be interesting to see how the Matildas bounce back after a 1-0 loss to, to Scotland, which was, which was fairly unexpected, it's fair to say. Yeah, g'day, Rabs. Do you know where you mate? It's interesting that you... Uh... You talk about this result, and we often don't know how much context can be in these or how much we should read into these types of friendlies. But, I mean, more broadly with the Matildas and how they're, how they're tracking, how do you feel they're going? And 
Isn't it interesting that it doesn't seem all that long ago that Tony Gustafson was under a mountain of pressure. They couldn't get a win over anyone in the top 1,000, it seemed. Uh, and it looked like a lot of that had been, had been tempered and it looked like they were back on track. Does this result change that path as far as you're concerned? Or, I mean, is the co- talk around the coach and the pressure he's under quite separate ultimately from the result? I mean, what's your, what's your basic take on, on how they're tracking towards that World Cup? I think, Jeno, in terms of the whole, in terms of the whole Tony Gustafson project, he sort of came in two years ago to the day yesterday in the job, and he did cop a lot of criticism. Only just recently, I was at a game at the New Allianz Stadium last October when they lost to Canada, and the media were, were full on in terms of giving him criticism after they lost, and they lost back-to-back games against the same opponent. So it wasn't too long ago that he was copying that criticism. But I think after, I think it was something like seven games. Um, I think they were on a seven-game winning streak before that game yesterday. Um, and obviously winning a Cup of Nations on home soil sort of eased that pressure for Tony a little bit. But uh, I don't think this result alone adds any more pressure on Tony. I think that everyone can see looking at the squad that it was a, a sort of a second-string squad and he's sort of trying a few new things. And uh, against England, I imagine that, that he'd sort of have as close to his best starting eleven on the pitch as possible considering it's the last game that the side will play before the World Cup. But it is interesting in terms of when he doesn't have those top players, obviously... Ford nursing that hamstring injury and he was sort of tight-lipped on whether Sam Kerr had a bit of a knock as well. Obviously, she plays a lot for Chelsea in the WSL. So without those superstars, it's, uh, it, I guess the, the question is that uh, he gets asked, Tony Gustafson, is the depth of the side and that's something that he's sort of tried to work on, uh, open that sort of talent pool in the two years that he's been here. Obviously, there's a lot of A-League women stars that are making that Matilda squad now in terms of uh, Claire Hunt's had a sensational season with the Wanderers at centre-back, and uh, Jada Wyman for Sydney FC. She's obviously a second-string or third-string keeper behind Lydia Williams and Mackenzie Arnold now. So he sort of opened that talent pool quite impressively, uh, something that the Matildas have never traditionally been known for, sort of before Tony's era, I guess it was sort of the starting 11, and uh, there wasn't sort of sort of too many players outside of that. But uh, I think he's done that really well. But I don't think that uh, he's sort of under immense pressure coming into this World Cup. Obviously, there is the pressure that comes with hosting a World Cup and, and playing at a World Cup. But I think that the Matildas are in the best place uh, that they could possibly be in, especially after considering perhaps a year or six months ago, they, they were in a pretty uh, not as good a spot, dare I say, uh, as they are now. So I think that the confidence of the team is extremely high. And I don't think that the Scotland result will, will change anyone's thoughts on that. Jordan, Illawarra Premier League. I was having a look at the Easter schedule. Gee, it's a busy weekend on the local front. What stands out to you? Yeah, it's definitely thrown me off a little bit, Matty, this week. Uh, there was a few games yesterday. There was a game on Thursday. Uh, uh, there was a massive game yesterday at Terry Reserve and a massive crowd coming in for a good Friday clash. Albion Park White Eagles went top of the ladder against Cringilla. The Cringilla, the Lions, were previously unbeaten before that game, but the Cameron Morgan double saw uh, Albion Park go top of the table, and they're actually five wins from five to start the season. So uh, sort of gone a little bit under the radar, but they're on top of the table now. They can get usurped today by... Coniston if they beat Helensburg and also another game today is Port Kembler against Wollongong Olympic and of course Wollongong Olympic the defending grand final champions they've sort of started a little bit to start this season they've had two wins and two draws but the main thing is that they're still undefeated obviously a a very experienced squad and I sort of don't think that anyone can write off Wollongong Olympic but yeah uh, fair to say that Albion Park are the team to to beat at the moment they're sort of undefeated and them and Olympic uh, obviously they had a clash last week that was meant to be played, but the rain washed it out, so that'll be rescheduled. So those two have still got to play each other, but those are the two two teams that I'll be looking out for so far this season. Obviously, uh, Cringilla and Coniston obviously having great starts as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, in terms of today, I'll definitely be looking out for that Port Kembla versus Wollongong Olympic uh, clash at Weatherall Park. It's just the, 
positive that the uh, the overnight thunderstorm and the rain doesn't seem to have affected the ground at Weatherall Park. So hopefully we get some football action today on Easter Saturday. It's a chocolate feast over Easter. It is a sporting feast over Easter as well, and that game just part of it. Now, we saw that Melbourne derby resumption. This has caught the attention of many that so long after the game was abandoned, it was resumed at the very point that it had to be called off after those wild scenes. What did you make of that game? And and talk to us about the A-League picture as we head into the back end of the season. Yeah, I think it, it was a topic of discussion. That's that's for sure, the Melbourne Derby, the resume Melbourne Derby. It was, um, I, I think that a few people had their say about the the resumption of the game. And it was, yeah, it was sort of poetic, but probably not in a in a good sense that the match started literally where Tom Gliver got smashed in the face uh, by a Melbourne Victory fan sort of with a sand bucket when they stormed the pitch late last year. So, um, But I guess it's over now. Sort of uh, Melbourne City obviously got the win. Aidan O'Neill scored, I think, the longest ever double in a match ever. He scored in the opening minutes of that first derby and then scored another one in the game the other day. But, uh, yeah, no, I sort of think that um, probably the best decision would have been to just give Melbourne City the points on the day. And But, uh, nonetheless, it's all over now and Melbourne City got the points anyway. But, uh, yeah, uh, and in terms of other A-League action, um, we've sort of been, in, in terms of the IPL um, and the A-League, it's sort of been similar this week with Easter. It's sort of thrown everything off, but there was a, a couple of games yesterday. Uh, Western United were looking to uh, cement some finals hopes. They've sort of been running last at the table, but have made a bit of a, a late jump sort of with a few games left this season. But the Central Coast Mariners put on a professional performance yesterday at Ballarat, winning 3-0. And then, of course, the game last night, Adelaide United against Sydney FC was one all and it was sold out at Cooper Stadium in Adelaide. It's such a sensational place to watch football. I've only been there once or twice in my life, but it's been a, it's, ad, it's an absolutely phenomenal place to watch football, and if only every other A-League club had their stadium sort of set up like Cooper Stadium is, it, it would be phenomenal, but uh, Adelaide took the lead early in the second half through soccer hero Craig Goodwin, and then Adam LaFondra cancelled that one out in, I think, the 82nd or 83rd minute, so Sydney FC keeping their finals hopes alive, and Adelaide remain undefeated for, I think, it's 12 games now, so Adelaide on a bit of a run. They're just behind Melbourne City uh, on the A-League ladder, but, uh, yeah, it's looking like Melbourne City and Adelaide are the are the two teams to beat at present. Okay, thank you, Jordan. I tell you what, with the long weekend and so many people travelling over Easter, I reckon it would be a bumper weekend at the Jamboree Hotel. Are you pulling beers down there? Are you helping out as the masses come through Jamboree? Only if it gets busy, Matty. I was on call yesterday, actually. I was working for the Illawarra Mercury yesterday, uh, working from home, covering the Wolves game, of course. But, uh, yeah, I was on call if it, if it got too busy. But, obviously, they were able to handle it yesterday. But I dare say that'll be the the same deal this weekend so I'll sort of be I'll be in the uh, in the college shirt ready to go and pull some beers Okay, very good. As you said, working from home, your sports editor, Tim Barrow, rolled his eyes. But I'll we'll take your word I'll for it. I'll see you this afternoon, Jordan. <laughs> good on you, Jordan. <laughs> Happy Easter, mate. Thanks for joining us again. We're back to Saturdays in the Gong after this. Go. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm not much... You can't have both. Different to... Contrary to what I'm doing here with Pete the Perfect Panel Punches <laughs> spread that he's put on here, I'm not that much of a sweet tooth, so I'm also at the cro- cross bun. That's the way I'd go. The definitely. great Pete Duffy. We should give him his full name. Pete Duffy bringing <laughs> Easter eggs. PD. Hot cross bun or bunny, Baz? I'm a hot cross bun addict. I have a Absolutely. problem. I'd have 10 hot cross buns before I had a limp bunny. Not that the limp bunny is anything wrong with them. No, they're great. no, they're not. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, uh, Easter, as we mentioned, busy time of the year for sport. The Illawarra Hawks at home, NBL 1 this weekend. So get out and support the Hawkies at NBL 1 level. Suncorp Super Netball rolls on. AFL Super Rugby. We had the cricket contracted list come out this week, which we might chat about depending on time. But, of course, Easter 
is synonymous with the stall gift. And Albion Park's Jess Hull is involved this weekend. We'll talk more about Jess, but here she is talking with Jared Waitley this week. Jessica, great to have you on SEN. Have you run at stall before? No, it'll be my first time down there, so I'm pretty excited to see what it's all about. And, um, yes, yeah, I've watched it on TV a few times, so it'll be good to be down there and be amongst it. What have you been told about it? What are your impressions of what you're about to walk into? I think it's just going to be like a, even more of an atmosphere than what we've been lucky enough to have in the Australian domestic season. I think it's, it's pretty huge. And um, from what I hear, everyone flocks to stall from Victoria over this weekend. The 1,000-metre Invitational, what, what do you know about the, the field that's been assembled to, to compete against you? Yeah, it'll be pretty similar to what I've lined up against domestically this year in the 1500 with Abby Caldwell, Lyndon Hall, Georgia Griffith, Katrina Bissett, um, our 800-metre specialist, and Claudia Hollingsworth and Morty Skyring. So it'll be a great field, and um, they, they're keeping us pretty tightly bunched with the handicaps, and hopefully we can give everyone some excitement and have a blanket finish. What have you been given, Jessica? I'm off scratch. Um, yes. Abby and myself are both the back markers, yeah. So if that's a, uh, even to the amateur, that's that's a formidable task in any race at any distance to come off scratch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, be, I'll have the red singlet on and I'll be trying to make up some ground. How's your domestic season been? Obviously coming to its culmination with two national championships on the weekend. Yeah, it's gone pretty perfectly. I could not ask for much more and um, it's just put me in a really good spot to head over and start racing in the Northern Hemisphere summer in about a month's time. Albion Parks, Jess Hull speaking with Gerard Waitley. Uh, how's she going to go? It's not the stall gift, it's the stall thousand metre that Jess is competing in. I'll tell you what I want to see, Matty, or what I want to say. I don't know how this goes into the rules of track or the thousand metre invitation or whatever. I want to see a tribute to think it over, Nashua Law, I want her to come around the bend and then go to the far rail oh, and come yeah. storming down the outside and get the win as a tribute to another great Wollongong product, I think. But, uh, no, she's going to be tough to beat in that. She's in good form. I was staggered to think that uh, she won her first ever national championship with her illustrious career and the resume and everything she's got. That national title that she beat a pretty crack field in was her first ever national title. Obviously a bit complicated with, uh, you know, the amount of time she spent on the, the college track circuit and not back here a lot at the time to, to run those. But uh, just another box you can uh, another box you can tick there, and I think this will be one as well. Tim Barrow, you think of Easter, you think of Bells Beach surfing, and you think of the stall gift. I remember it being a big betting race, which I reckon might have appealed to you. Oh, well, you know what I'm like. I'll bet on anything. I'll uh, I'll certainly back Jess Hull. She's an absolute star. She could be meddling at a World Championships very soon. Okay, we'll break and come back to wrap up. Saturdays in the gong. There's a new player in town. Uh, Easter means double demerits. Danger, danger. Make sure you keep your licence. I'm going to bang the gong. Any copper who sets up in a 60 zone, a few metres after the 100 zone, trying to catch tired or maybe just momentarily lost people, I'm going to bang the gong against you. Let's bang. Yep. Please don't do that. Back serious offenders. Don't back people who nap off for 20 seconds. Bells, Mitch, what's happening? Owen Wright looking for the perfect swan song. He said this will be his last event. He's got a wild card at the most iconic, obviously, surfing event. A Colborough product, been through rule base yep. for a long time. Both he and Tyler Wright have obviously overcome a lot in their surfing careers to sort of be at the top and uh, lot. Let's just watch it and hope he gets there because that'll be the hell of a swan song and a very deserved one. It's off for the day. The next call tomorrow. Tim Barrow, Mitch Jennings, thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Russell. We're back next week, Saturdays in the Gong.